Hello and welcome to the American Cinema Foundation Movie Podcast. I am your host Titus and today I am joined by my friend James Lilacs for a discussion of Star Wars. That's the new release, that's what's in the news, but we want to go back a while to talk about the experience that young Americans had with Star Wars in the 70s to try to get a sense of how this carried on for so long as the generation that witnessed it in 77 came of age and to think about the future of Star Wars now 40 years later when a new version has proven to be such a wild financial and popular success and apparently branching out into new media in the middle of a tech revolution. So James, how about you tell me about Star Wars? I take it you're old enough to have seen it when it was in theaters. <laughs> Are we rolling? Yes. I'm always, I'm always waiting for that question. Okay, uh, how do I feel about Star Wars? Well, um, yes, I was old enough, as a matter of fact. Um, I went to see it in the theater and was impressed with the greatest movie I'd ever seen in my life. No, but close, because you have to remember, as everybody knows, back in the 70s, we had all these anti-hero movies, all of these movies with depressing endings. You know, you go to see something like Electro Glide in Blue with, uh, you know, where the hero is a cop who ends up dead. Shot at the end. Ta-da! Everybody leaves the theater whistling the theme music. And No. I mean, there were so many downbeat shows that when something came along that was unapologetically fun, heroic, and uh, and ended with an award ceremony. I mean, how many shows just end with an award ceremony and the Wookiee got screwed, by the way? Uh, so <laughs> you left that movie thinking, well, I have to see this again. And I did. I think I saw it about eight times. Um, I saw it in Minneapolis. I went back to Fargo. I saw it at the Fargo Theater three or four times, and then I went back to Minneapolis and saw it again all summer long. Every week we would go and see Star Wars alone or together and enjoy everything about it. You'd buy the soundtrack. Um, you would buy the uh, novelizations. You didn't buy the comic books because, like most tie-ins, they stunk. But it was incredible. We couldn't, and we we debated endlessly exactly what was going to happen afterwards, as if this wasn't the most basic story ever. But we still debated. Luke has got to commit regicide, and if 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 uh, you know if the Emperor is actually his father or something, he's got to commit regicide and patricide, and you know. Well, you know, basically we liked the the pew 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 and the swords and uh, and the, uh, the the hot chick and the rest of it. So yeah, we had no idea that it would be this decade spanning cultural phenomenon that we'd still be absorbing as we headed into our social security age. That that idea was <laughs> was out of the question, but here we are. Um, that that's very well put. This is one thing I still wonder about, partly because I grew up in the '90s, not the '70s, and mm. so things were way more blasé and cynical. Anyway, movies weren't that magical. Cinema wasn't that attractive to people. And on the other hand, then this stuff came back to my great surprise. And they keep making these movies, and uh, only this way, and maybe just the success of the movie that came out a few years back, The Force Awakens, did I realize just how popular this still is. And to what extent a new generation is taking up the torch from the old generation. It is remarkable. My daughter, who's 17, is really looking forward to the next Star Wars movies. She she really is. She loved the last two that we saw together, and she likes it. Now, as we've discussed in previous years, you know, or in previous episodes here, we haven't been doing this that long. uh, There's there's something that you bring to these characters. There's something there. There's there's the time that you saw it. There's who you were. There's the emotion that you've invested over the years that my daughter doesn't have. She comes to it with a completely new set of eyes, and she loves it possibly for the same reasons that I did. And it's better now. I mean, it's 
it's really good now when you're talking about science fiction movies. When the when the Empire Strikes Back came out in 1980, I, that was that was the top. That was the height. That was as good as it got because somehow. I had no idea what was coming at the end of that movie. And so unlike the people who grow up knowing the relationship between Luke and Vader, that one hit everybody in the theater like a sledgehammer to the sternum. We just didn't. We didn't know. There was no spoilers. Nobody was walking out of the movie theater saying, hey, uh, Vader's Luke's father. Uh, we we <laughs> all had that revelatory moment en masse in the theater. You could just feel uh, it, it, it is like everybody had been sort of scoured with a cheese grater and then they dashed turpentine on everyone. It's like, Oh my God. So, <laughs> and, and the movie ends downbeat. The movie ends with the ships going off to the rally point and Luke flexing his new hand. Cause his old one got chopped off by you know dad. And we realize it's going to be years before we find out what happens to this story. I mean, it was, it was really quite marvelous. I mean, now you can binge the whole damn thing. But then we actually had years between being told these stories. So I told my daughter, I said, you know, when I was young, uh, the idea that we, when, once we realized there would be a trilogy, we were happy about that. We were really happy. You not only have a Star Wars movie coming out every year, you've got another Star Wars movie coming out in the other years to keep the story going. And they're quite, quite good. Uh, so, you know, in the nineties, in your time, when the prequels came out, uh, it's, it's, it's hard to describe just the, the disappointment that the old fans had with those, just the mortification and the realization perhaps, you know, uh, this is a children's story. And like the comic book guy who sees the missile coming towards him, oh, I've wasted my life. I mean, I've been spending all this time on a children's story. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, we kind of yeah, we so got that feeling. Looking at the... the Phantom Menace and these other movies as a teenager, I didn't get what the big deal was. They weren't that good. They weren't that bad either. I couldn't understand why people were so enthusiastic or why they were so desperate and bitter about it once they were disappointed. It does seem to me that some part of this is just people took their childhood a bit too seriously way into their 30s later or 40s. Well, right. There's there's nothing in the culture that says it is now time to put away childish things. The culture says keep picking them up and playing with them because we've got a lot of money to make off of you people. You know, Lucas, I, I think, was pretty upfront about making movies that his, his adopted boys would want to watch and was pretty upfront, I think, in episode six in saying that uh, the decision to make the Wookiees into Ewoks was partly for merchandising because you can sell a lot of these little furry things. So there was always that toy aspect to it. But you're right. I mean, there's a whole generation of people who grew up um, encouraged by the culture to continue to play with toys. Oh, I'm sorry. Action figures. Um, you know, and and it was like you could collect them. You could get the minifigs. You could get the Lego Millennium Falcon. And this was regarded as a thing that adults did, which is very excuse me that's my dog disagreeing with me but but now i mean when you look at the last the last couple of star wars movies especially um rogue one that's not a kitty tale kids mm-hmm. can watch it but they're they're and it is you know science fiction which in its big pew pew form is 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 going to be adolescent and roots and and all the rest of that and fun but th- that's not a, a children's story especially when you consider what happens at the end Yeah, I would say that that's the one thing that people always thought they would want, that they would want a Star Wars story as adults, for adults, that they could appreciate and that could somehow pay off the emotional intensity that they brought as kids to these movies. 
but mm-hmm. I'm not sure people appreciated it when it finally came. The episode 7 that was, or the episode 8 that's coming out right now, are going to be way more popular and make way more money, although they're to a large extent retreads and adolescent yeah. stuff. Absolutely. I mean, Nobody's going to give up. There's way no. too much invested in this. That's right. <laughs> well, I, I mean, one of the reasons that I liked Rogue One is because when the prequels came out, I was I was dismayed at the very fact that Luke, Lucas was going back to the beginning because we know where this story goes. The story of Anakin Skywalker turning into a really bad guy is not that compelling to me, especially the way that Lucas told it with his inability to write characters and his, his tendency to have half the movie consist of people sitting on sofas talking to each other it just wasn't that in we know what happens he turns into hitler he's hitler for a while and then he's (laughs) he's angry when his boss tries to kill his son so he throws his boss down the hole and then he takes off his helmet and boy that's got a smell after all those years and he's instantly (laughs) forgiven and hitler gets to go to heaven and so there's at the end of the movie you got hitler obi-wan and the little you know the little toady guy with the pointed ears and they're all in sparkly jedi valhalla heaven and it's okay so you have redemption without what? You redemption simply because he saved his son and Luke said, I knew there was good in you. Based on what? You know, <laughs> search your feelings, father. I know there's good in you. No, there isn't. He's he's been he's been a he's been a dickwads from from about the time he was ten years old. So you know, so to go back to that, and it, it just wasn't that interesting. It wasn't. And in the way that, that Lucas wrote it again, dismal. Uh, so now we flash forward to where we are now, episode seven. People say, well, that's just a retread of episode four. It plays all the same beats. Yes, it does. But it it inhabited them in such a way that, that made me feel like Kirk staring out at the Genesis planet at the end of Star Trek II. I feel young again. Because <laughs> it had been brought back in such a great way. And I made my daughter, who'd never seen it before, Take this as her own. So yeah, if they tell happy stories of the of the of the Skywalker clan, who are apparently the only family in the in the galaxy we're supposed to care about, um, <laughs> you know, yeah. and they tell a darker story every other film, that's fine with me. Yeah, I've in a way made my peace with this because I, I thought the Rogue One story was very well told and people who are not just looking for heartwarming are going to get what they're looking for. But on the other hand, as as successful movies as blockbusters go, Star Wars have also somehow become innocuous that they have a power to charm still, uh-huh. but they don't seem in any way relevant either to the culture or to the future of cinema. Well, how were they relevant? I mean, they were. I think it was relevant at the time in '77. Yeah, because... at that point, you had both the technological changes and this validation of genre as blockbuster. They took an essentially B story and the B approach to movies and made right. it the most successful thing in cinema. That transformed Hollywood. But at the same time, Lucas's intention was to tell the story of the noble Viet Cong against the evil empire. Because he's a, uh, with Lucas, he's a poli- I mean, that guy is best he's a best to listen to. I mean, the only thing you need to know about Lucas is that he thought that he should direct the second trilogy from his chair. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, he's <laughs> On a, green he's political, he's a That's political about simple. the size of that guy. Right. But, but so when you say culturally relevant, are there deeper messages in Star Wars that, that we can take to heart today that, that say something about the culture? Well, you can say... Um, you can look at the choice of the hero and, and her sidekick and say that the culture is quite different. It's not a white guy, uh, hanging around with a white chick princess. It is a female abandoned, left behind, um, with a black 
refugee stormtrooper. I mean, you can say that the choice of those characters reflects a cultural shift for the better, that we're telling more stories outside of, you know, just what was a narrow band before. You can also say that there's, there's in Rogue One, when you have, uh, at the end of it, every expectation you've ever seen about a Star Wars movie, or for that matter, every third act you've ever seen of an action film, tells you that that robot who, who got blasted down in the, in the computer room is going to climb up the stairs and shoot the bad guy. That's what's going to happen. But it doesn't happen because the robot's dead. And that's just a, pre- it's a precursor to everybody dying at the end of the movie. That's different as well. So, I mean, between the two of these, the reconfiguration and the expansion of the cast and the addition of some truly dark elements, you can say that that's 2016, that's that's the post 9-11 moving into the teens part of the 21st century where we're still bringing back some old stuff, mixing it with the new and trying to figure out where we're going. I... You know, you're right like, that things are getting darker, and that's also partly adult, but partly it's just a lot of adolescent angst, and it does make for more variety, which Star Wars badly needs. It's also a good counterweight to the fact that people do bring so much nostalgia and this new strange phenomenon. You know, it used to be that say hippie boomers would tell you, "Man, you had to been there." Well, now you can, right? You're gonna get your own generation Star Wars, and it'll be the same as the first one. Right. Or or you can have, you know, two Star Trek movies that are super similar to the first two Star Trek movies. You can get your own past. You can be your own grandfather in a strange way. (laughs) (laughs) Well, a part of it is remix culture where there's nothing new. So we have to go back and microwave the seed corn and uh, we're not coming up with anything new. I I get that. In that sense, the variety helps. And. I'm all for however many black or women or whatever other cast they want to introduce if at least the stories are worthwhile and you get some variety. Good on them. I get that this is topical. So long as it's not a substitute for for something like Rogue One, fine. More the merrier. Well, a part of it is when you when the guy takes when when Finn takes off his helmet and we see that he's a black stormtrooper. There's there's first of all there's a a, a chain there's an expectation that we're not going to see that because they're faceless. They're not supposed to have faces, and to see an individual was an interesting moment. Uh, there were the people who complained that oh they're yeah. piecing it up. There nobody did. Five people pranking for the lulls. In, exactly. At four chance said that nobody cared. Nobody cared that Finn was black. But also, since we were led to believe in one of the the prequels that everybody basically has FET DNA and they were all mm-hmm. stamped out on the clone factory, obviously something is different. Now there are individuals who, as we learn his backstory, were taken at a very early age and turned into numerical ciphers who just fight for the Empire. But somehow his conscience awoken as well as the force elsewhere so i mean that's that's a good choice it it and the visual of the guy of the black face behind the white helmet you know is, is one of those choices that just says there are there are smart capable people they're 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 thinking these things through everything possible to make it other than the anodyne bs it was in the prequels but when you mention dark you're right. Dark is an adolescent fixation because it supposedly is dip. dark and gritty is what they tried to do to the DC, the DCU, the DC universe. And what they ended up with was nobody wants a dark Superman, do they? I don't know. Man of Steel was super popular. Even Batman and- v Superman, which was screwed up by the studio. Even mm. that was a big success. I, I just think, think that this is underestimated. You may be- I mean, also, you know, Zack Snyder shoots beautifully. He's really good at action and tragedy. 
There's no director, mm-hmm. no big name director that can do that. It's... That's true, I, but I just I can't take Superman seriously on any level. Batman, yeah. Batman is inherently dark. We love Batman. Batman's got to be dark and gritty. But everything else, sure. you know, the Avengers isn't dark and gritty. The Avengers is is leavened with wit. You know, in the form of Tony Stark's endless Robert Downey Jr. quip riffing is getting really tiresome. But a little, That's you know, little com- God, comedy <laughs> from Thor, you know, uh, Captain America being a square John guy with a quip here and there. It works. The characters work together. But to watch DC try to replicate it and say, we just go dark and gritty or universal. We're going to go dark with our monster universe. Oh, really? A monster universe that's dark? Never thought of that. But it's it's in the DNA of the thing, for God's sake. You don't have to go dark. But, the, you know, and that yeah. failed completely. So they're catering perhaps to a, a sensibility that that um, uh, has to be done well and sparingly. And, you know, they may look back on us and say, why when everything was so when things were going well in this civilization, why were they so unhappy in their movies? Yeah, that's that's a really big question. And I think it's somehow underestimated because there's no obvious reason, but there's no denying it either. And sometimes the movies are much better at capturing this than anything else. The, the Batman trilogy was especially good at showing how dark the mood got in post 9-11 America oh. what fundamental questions could creep up again you know and, and, and uh, that's and, and you can put this together with the desire for real villains nobody remembers any Marvel plot line because nobody remembers any of the <laughs> villains they're all worthless <laughs> but everybody remembers Batman villains there uh-huh. th- there's a bit of fear there and for teenagers or young adults it's real and I think that that's the best the culture has to offer by way of exploration of hopes that have been dashed and fears that things are going to get better. Yeah, and I'm trying to think of, uh, you know, going back to what we would take from, for example, for, I mean, everybody is, does the cliche thing is if you go to the 50s, all of the science fiction movies were a fear of communism, right? That's supposedly what we're, we're told. Fear of atomic radiation or a fear of communism. All the alien movies were fear of communism. And while that may have been true for one or two of them, after a while, the template gets made and it's successful and they keep remaking the template. It doesn't necessarily mean that everybody is saying, oh, good, here's another alien movie that reinforces my subliminal fear of the Red Menace. Uh, no, they're, they're, they're turning out something that tangentially had a little connection to the zeitgeist. So I think it's too much to read too much into it. But, you know, it's fair, but not over and over and over. I mean, the reason they kept making giant bug movies was not because everybody was afraid of the atomic bomb. It's because the first bug movie they made was good, made a lot of money, and they decided to stamp them out until they were doing, you know, they did crickets, (laughs) they did ants, they did spiders, you know, and eventually, you know, they, they never did centipedes, which would have been utterly horrifying. But that's because I think Harryhausen was unable to get enough people to move a hundred legs on a, th- on a little model before they advanced. <laughs> that would be a marvel of choreography, if nothing else. Yes. <laughs> oh, um, I, yeah, I also agree that these kinds of social explanations aren't that much good because stories that work work for a reason that's particular to the story. I agree with you about The Empire Strikes Back, having these this kind of heroism that Luke is growing up in to become dead serious was rare and people took it seriously. But if you try to do that all day every day, it wouldn't work. Right. The, it... Having new Star Wars trilogies, they don't really have trilogies of stories to tell. 
they're just gonna be a new franchise. They're turning well, we'll, I mean, into a kind of sensational TV show. We'll see. I mean, we'll see what happens to Ray in the next one because I mean, in the second one in Empire Strikes Back, Luke screws up. He he screws up. He goes to training. He's impatient. He leaves training. Uh, and then he goes unprepared to fight the worst guy in the universe and gets his ass handed to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so that's, that's what happens to him. And now in the third one where he becomes, you know, Zen Luke and he's all serious and controlled, somehow I never bought that. I don't, yeah, but we'll see if that happens mm-hmm. to Ray. Um, but, you know, the second one, here, here's what I love. I would go on these rants uh, about the Empire's preposterous military strategy at the beginning of The Empire Strikes Back. Um, because in order to take out this shield generator, they drop these incredibly top-heavy machineries on an ice sheet and have them walk slowly toward the thing they want to destroy. <laughs> I mean, it's just, I understand the whole terror element, but it's like, hey, tell you what, we're in orbit, let's just bomb the hell out of it. Let's just aerial yeah. bombardment from here with all the weapons we got and see if that works. Then somebody says, no, no, I don't think, no. Let's put some top-heavy elephants that will walk very slowly, <laughs> and they'll have four guns at the top at their heads, which are easy to identify, and they'll shoot pew-pew-pew and the rest of it. It's... It, but people would send me to these websites that described in incredible detail the strategy, the ideas, why the walkers were brilliant, why the AT-ATs were the – I mean because Lucas would give us a two-hour movie and people would expand behind it so much. They would build so much into what he'd done because there was so much that was left unexplained. Now, do you think that Star Wars is leaving a, a sufficiently large space for people to rush into and make up their own? Because the old expanded universe became poof. Mm-hmm. They, it, it's no longer canon. Now, they're giving us more, but the ability for people in the audience to go and create more stories around this seems constricted because it's a property now. It's an intellectual property. Yeah, m- much has changed, and I think some kind of the same juvenile desire to fantasize is there, but it, it's in a very different form. You don't have to be patient as a consumer, and you don't have to be as, as involved in something like a zeitgeist. And you do know for a fact that you can buy one of these things every year, mm-hmm. and a lot of the wonder has worn off anyway can't go back to 77 or 1980. The culture has accumulated stuff in between. Each generation is new, but the culture is not new in each generation. Much is taken for granted and kids grow up with different expectations. So I don't see a birth of Star Wars fan fiction or, uh, you know, some kind of massive footprint on the culture. It feels like it's just going to be another product. It's guaranteed to be successful, but will people love it really more than they think they'll love the next funny stuff in a Marvel movie? I wouldn't bet. It seems like the more you've got, the more you devalue it. That's true. If they expand the story into, I mean, the expanded universe, which was canon for a while until it wasn't, just had all kinds of stuff happening to the galaxy. They've been Now it's gone. And whether or not they bring some of these ideas back and branch them out into other media is interesting. I mean, we'll get the movie, the happy franchise movie, and then we'll get the darker in-between movie. At some point, we'll probably get a television show. There's another oh, yeah, Clone Wars. Disney War is going to create an <clears throat> online streaming service for Star Wars, if they can right. get away with it, and have a dedicated following. 
Right. I think that it can be done. I mean, I don't underestimate these guys. I, I wouldn't. I don't like the idea, but that's nothing to do with whether it's feasible. But then it's just going to be, you know, streaming on demand. Just another thing you can binge or give an Unl hour of your life every other week or... Unless it becomes something that you can interact with and change to your specifications. One of the most exciting moments that I ever had in Star Wars. And I, I should stop okay. right here now and say, I was... I was never that that Star Wars guy. I you know I loved it. I watched it. All those things, but I didn't read the books. I was a Star Trek guy. Trek was interesting to me because it was more technological. It was more it was more philosophical and had more you know puzzles. Star. It, it 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 had tech. I mean, it had techno babble. And as far as Star Wars goes, they're different. They're different. And mm -hmm. I was always on the Trek side. But I would between the existence of the of the of the originals and the prequels, what were we to do but play video games? And so Dark Forces, I played when it came out. It was sort of a it was a proto Doom, uh, 3D shoot, first person shooter. It was kind of fun. Then they came up with another one that was really one of the best video games I've ever played, and had a level where after you had done something, you had to escape this ship, which had its anti gravity its gravity forces turned off. So you know, it was rolling, doing barrel rolls into the atmosphere to burn up and you had to get out you had to retrace your steps through rooms that were now revolving around you with stuff flying you had to find your way back and it was time it was timed if you didn't do it you died it was the one of the best levels i've ever played in any video game even though the technology has gotten so much better it was so exciting and it was so much of star wars okay mm -hmm. so when we have virtual reality and it's you're not wearing the clunky headsets and it's a little bit more comfortable and people are able to write stories for for Star Trek, for Star Wars, for 1940s L.A. Noir style stuff, where you're able to inhabit these things, and it's not on rails, and you can live in a world that isn't preset with its outcomes. There's a new level of storytelling that comes there, and I think that people will build their own Star Wars experiences for themselves yeah. and recapture that good. early... I think this could happen. <laughs> That's the only, as it were, back to 77 way you can have, and people would love this. Computer games are already a big thing just because of the, they offer an alternative to society. People wouldn't be spending so much hours on this if they weren't desperately looking for that. Give them virtual reality with Star Wars? Yeah. In fact, that could be one of the really big selling points for gaming in, in virtual reality. Yeah, I know. The un unfortunate thing is that uh, the the second generation of these really good headsets are probably going to come with catheters. Um, you know, and, and <laughs> yep. the people oh will take goodness. a twelve hour a twelve hour nutrition pill and hook up the catheter and then just and plug into this thing and uh, that'll be it. My daughter warns me. I my wife wanted to put a Christmas decoration downstairs and then she said no, no one will ever turn it off or on. And I said, hey, listen, I got an Amazon order coming with some with some Bluetooth operated um, home network uh, plugins that you can turn the switch on and off from your phone. So I can just turn on that thing downstairs when I come home. I can set up an automatic routine where it'll just happen. And daughter says, you know, my daughter's on her phone all the time, on her computer all the time, says, no, no, this is not where we need to go in society. It's important <laughs> to stand up, go downstairs, and flip a switch rather than push a button. Wow. Yeah, and I'm telling her, okay, all right, how about this? We won't flip a switch. We'll have the bare wires hanging out of the wall so I can touch them together because that's even more real than flipping a switch. And we get into this argument all the time. <laughs> but there will always be people who will want to dive into that world and lose themselves in it and the people who you know, will realize the importance of going outside. Like me, 
because I have to go outside because my dog wants to go out. He's, I just found him chewing a copy of Lord of the Flies, which is a very dog thing to do. And it tells, <laughs> it tells me that he needs to go outside. So uh, I'll, I'll leave you with this. It took about six times of watching Star Wars the first time and having that wonderful splash that the, the John Williams Blair crash on the screen, which to this day gives me a thrill. After a while, I began to realize that the phrase a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away meant that everybody I'm watching is dead. They've been oh. dead for a long time, whereas Star Trek, wow. all of that was yet to come. And that maybe is one of the difference why I preferred one over the other. Huh. Thank you for letting me talk all over again. <laughs> it's Thanks for joining me again, James. And uh, let's do this again next time. Absolutely. See you next week. All the best. Bye-bye.